Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, let me tell you right off the start, I'm not at Beeson Divinity School. I'm in New York City, and I have the privilege of introducing a friend. We've been here for a conference together, and I really wanted to get her on the Beeson Podcast to talk about the wonderful work that she is doing. Her name is Jennifer Lawl. She is the president and founder of the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network. Jennifer, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Now, I want to begin by just asking you to introduce yourself to our podcast listeners. Tell us a little bit about you, your background, all of that. Sure. Well, I'm a wife and a mother. I was a 20-plus year pediatric critical care nurse, so my background is long steeped in in pediatric nursing. And as a a mature adult, I went back and pursued a master's in bioethics degree uh, out of concerns for where science and technology and medicine were headed in a very quick, you know, we we talk about the biotech century here, this 21st Mm. century, and I wanted to really integrate um, a good foundation of ethics into science and medicine in the direction it was headed. So in my pursuit of graduate studies, I founded the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network, which I now run. It's been 15 years. I can't believe it's been that long. And we are a voice, if you will, uh, to encourage uh, public conversation and debate about not what science and medicine can do, uh, but should science and Mm -hmm. medicine go particular directions. Wow. And you live in California, right? I do. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. I married a third-generation San Franciscan. <laughs> Deep roots. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, let's get right into this question because you, much of your work has revolved around what is called surrogacy. Uh, tell us what surrogacy is, what are the different kinds of surrogacy? Why is that an important issue? Well, you know, we have surrogacy in, in scriptures. So surrogacy is where you oftentimes in today's world, you hire a woman, if you will. Um, most of the time money's paid, expenses are covered, and you hire a woman to gestate, have a baby for you. Uh, we see that happening with Hollywood. Jimmy Fallon and his wife just announced their second child was born through surrogacy. Uh, so the Hollywood celebrities are um, busy hiring women. Elton John came to my state, California, um, and is the father of two children now through surrogacy. So I think there's um, lots of problems that we can talk about. Well, let um, me just stop you there and ask you, uh, how, how do these uh, women get uh, chosen for this? Is, is there a... a agency that handles this? Uh. Yeah, well, the the choosing um, decisions are, are, are varied. And if you look at the global um, scene, you'll see it's really low-income, impoverished women. So if you look at what's happening in India or Thailand or Mexico, where it's truly just, you know, poor, poor indigent women who are hired to um, have babies for wealthy Westerners. Here in the United States, one of the largest markets is military wives. So they are selected and targeted through their, you know, online publications, their message boards. And it fits nicely with, you know, military wives who tend to marry young. 
um, tend to be of low income, have husbands that are oftentimes deployed, and they see this as serving or helping somebody have a child. And so a lot of times in America, it will be not low income women like we see in India, but women of lower economic mm-hmm. status. So there's a form of uh, exploitation going on here for sure. Absolutely. It's just commercialized contractual baby buying and selling. Now, some people will say, well, it's not baby buying and selling, but what is a surrogate being paid to do? Just mm-hmm. a child and surrender that child in exchange for money. Um, mm-hmm. It's very rarely that it's done altruistically, meaning just you know a good deed done with no money uh, changing hands. Often there are monetary incentives, which gets me back to my nursing background and how money corrupts mm-hmm. you know, good ethical medical decision making you know you're never paid to sell or donate your kidney you know mm-hmm. kidney donation organ donation in america is operated on a truly altruistic um, mm-hmm. basis now i wouldn't argue in favor of altruistic surrogacy i think surrogacy in, is inherently um, unethical and problematic now i want to get to that because you're an ethicist and you thought about the moral implications of what surrogacy involves but before we do that talk a little bit about the legality of it has this always been legal? Is it a recent development? What, what about the legal status of it? In the United States, it's really unfortunate. It's a patchwork of legislative um, policies. A lot of laws that we do have in some of the states where we've addressed this with our laws came about after the very famous uh, baby Ma- M. Mary Beth Whitehead surrogacy case of New Jersey. Because this was new technology. We weren't having other women have babies for people um, in a real commercial, contractual, legal way. So, you, you know, my state, California, California is anything goes. Mm. I mean, truly, we have no limitations. No, we have Octumom, we have Elton John, all the celebrities. Um, In New York State, um, a law that's being challenged right now by a gay state senator who wants to be able to pay women to have babies for gay men. uh, The law on the in the books on the books in New York says you can do it altruistically. Mm. Uh, Michigan and the District of Columbia have gone far enough in their laws, which are old laws, that say it's it's a criminal act to entertain and engage in contract pregnancies. So there's actual jail and financial fines attached to it. So if everything anything goes, yeah. to you'll go to jail and be yeah. fined if you do it. To you can do it for free as a good person. And then there's states where it's a silent. There's just no law, which mm. means it's. It's permitted. Now talk about the ethical questions involved in this practice, surrogacy. Well, back to my um, earlier career as a pediatric nurse, you know, I've written chapters in textbooks on maternal child health. We never separate the mother and the child. We know that there's something integral. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Mm-hmm. You know, the womb isn't arbitrary. It's just not an easy bake oven or, a, mm-hmm. you know, some surrogates say, I'm just babysitting a preborn child. It's, you know, so there's nothing arbitrary about the womb. There's something important that happens before a child's even born, mother and child. Uh, so there's just that. Um, mystery and wonderfulness that we want to encourage and protect. Mm. Uh, we've seen in, in adoption, in the history of adoption, that you know, that's just severing biological ties and saying it doesn't matter is not true because mm. children go on and search. They want to know, you know, who gave birth to me, who do I belong to, where did I come from. So there's those kinds of problems that I think are ethically problematic when we just say it doesn't matter. Um, and it matters deeply. I think, you know, the, the medical risks are evident. Um, you know, pregnancy is not without um, risks. Surrogates are oftentimes required, because of the high cost of this enterprise, to carry twins. 
mm. or triplets, um, because as our film breeder says, one of the fertility doctors we interviewed says, everybody likes the sale, and you get two babies for the price of one. So there's just the health risk to mother and child again on multiple um, you know, children in the womb at one time. Now, you mentioned your film. I'm glad you did because you are a filmmaker. You've made three films. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what are the names of these films and why are you making films about this? Well, there's three films. It's a trilogy, um, in, and they address what we call third-party reproduction. So our first film is called Eggsploitation, like eggs you have for breakfast, and it really looks at the growing phenomenon of paying young women for their eggs, their eggs to help other people have babies. You know, same-sex couples, men, need eggs from women and women from women in order to have children. So exploitation just looks at the problems around this growing business of egg donation. It's not really donations, egg selling. Um, the second film is called Anonymous Father's Day, where we look at the lives of people that are here on this planet because of anonymous sperm donation. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, telling the stories of what does it you know mean to you as a person to know that you were created you know by somebody just anonymously giving their gametes gametes being eggs and sperm and then in order to complete the series uh, we made breeders a subclass of women which looks at the growing phenomenon of paid surrogacy and contract pregnancies so we've chosen to make um, films because it's a story war. Mm. You know, the story war right now that's winning is what could be wrong with these technologies. They help otherwise people who couldn't have children have children. Isn't all technology good and it's medicine and as long as it's done properly, what could be wrong with it? Um, so what we do is we tell the other side of the story, the story of women that have been harmed. Um, medically harmed, that have lost, you know, egg donors that have lost their ability to ever have children of their own because of the medical harm done to them when they made the decision to sell their eggs to help somebody else have a child. You know, the voices of the children that are part of this social experiment of third-party reproduction that are now coming of age post-baby M. Um, these are, there's now a growing demographic of these young adults um, that are letting their voices um, be you know heard saying you know I don't really like the way I was conceived I'm happy to be here I'm grateful for my life but I have issues with the fact that my mom chose somebody out of a catalog because he was tall and handsome and spoke French and mm -hmm. he was never involved in my life so we're just we're telling the stories to try to give a more fully informed um, reflection on these technologies mm -hmm. that they do have problems and they're not inherently good because they're just helping somebody have a child. So you're dealing with an issue that has real serious social and systemic implications for our society, but also a very personal one-on-one -on -one kind of implication also. Absolutely, and because of my strong patient advocacy from my years of working in healthcare, um, it really saddens me to see medicine ha has been sort of corrupted um, to become just an exchange of um, services. Mm -hmm. You have something I need. I have something you know to buy to sell, um, and, and you, know, you see the people, the third parties, that their um, health and well-being isn't protected. Mm -hmm. You know, the the reason I came to make exploitation was because of my writing and speaking out. I was just constantly contacted through the internet by young women who made the decision to sell their eggs to pay their you know their college student loan debt. 
and were harmed, and mm. and the doctors didn't want to hear from them. Mm-hmm. The industry wanted to discount them as well. You know, there's going to be risks in everything. You know, we assume risks. You know, crossing the street or riding in a cab or you know all that kind mm-hmm. of nonsense. And that's not how medicine operates. I mean, this woman should be treated as a patient, mm-hmm. and we have a fiduciary responsibility. Um, you know, I'm a strong believer in Hippocratic covenantal medicine. You know, we have an obligation to all the people, the children, the donors. Um, the third parties. Is there a, an association of, of persons who have been impacted by surrogacy? Is there a place to go for, let's say, support, uh, care? You know, there actually is not. Um, slowly, there's a, a growing support for the children. The don't we call them the donor conceived. Um, through these third parties, and, and they have really done a good job of networking through their social media and Facebook and online platforms. Um, but as far as the, the women that have been harmed, the victims, and it's been um, troubling to me because when they've tried to organize um, within their communities, they're, they're shunned mm. um, because they're speaking out against the industry. Um, and there's plenty of women out there that I call them serial surrogates. You know, they do this again and again and again, several times over, because they think it's helping and it's a good way to make, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars, which a surrogate can easily make in the United States, which is a significant amount of money if you're staying at home, you know, raising your own little yeah. family. It's really unfortunate that they are seen as the bad apples. Yeah. You know, the disgruntled people. Yeah. Now, you're a Christian, Jennifer. Is there a role for the church in this? Is the church involved in this issue? You know, that's my, my biggest lament is how often we do not talk about this within our churches. You know, I know many infertile couples who don't go to church on Mother's Day mm. or Father's Day because it's a real sad you know, thing for a couple that's never been able to have children. And we don't talk about infertility. And I and I say, for heaven's sakes, infertility is in the Bible. Mm. This is an age-old problem that's been with us post the garden story. You know, we have infertility in the book of Genesis, but we haven't addressed, if you will, the, the new modern solution to infertility. Uh, so when I find myself in a religious community, it's often with my Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, which has strong teaching. Um, mm. Top down, kind of. This is what the position is of this faith tradition, and we don't have that. And a lot of times, pastors will say, "Well, why don't you write a book?" And I said, "Well, because if I wrote a book, you know, the Presbyterians maybe wouldn't be happy with it, but the Baptists might be happy with it. But the, <laughs> you know, so because we don't speak from one voice here. Mm. And I know within the Protestant tradition, um, there's many Christian ethicists who think that these technologies are permissible if done certain ways, where some faith traditions have no problem with third-party egg and sperm donation or or surrogacy. I've met surrogate mothers in church pews. Mm. Um, I've met women who have babies on their hips that said, my sister gave me her eggs to have my baby. What could be wrong with that? Uh, So the church, I think, hasn't taught about these issues Mm. and spoken about these. And I think the problem is now that we have it in our pews. We have IVF babies, if you will, in our nurseries. And to speak out against it is going to ruffle feathers and make people feel judged or condemned or that they did something wrong. So we perhaps avoid it to our own. Mm-hmm. But you're calling for a, a really a holistic approach to this issue that involves the spiritual as well as a, obviously the physical, the legal, the moral. Absolutely. It's, it's putting back together what we've torn asunder. Mm. Um, mm. And so, and, which is our, our imperative anyway. You know, the world is broken and, and what we do day in and day out is trying to put things back in, in rightful order. 
A few minutes ago, you mentioned adoption, and a lot of people would draw a parallel between surrogacy and adoption. Say a little bit more about that connection or disconnection as you see it between the two. Well, adoption will always be with us. Um, we, do, we do have a, an imperative to take care of the orphans among us. But adoption seeks to rescue a child or make remedy for a child that has no mother and father, no family to care for them. But we don't intentionally go out to create orphans. Mm. Where in the case of third-party reproduction, we intentionally, willfully, as we were discussing in our meeting yesterday, the willful act of creating children that will intentionally be separated from biological ties and bonds and told it doesn't matter and told you know these children when you interview these children now young adults who are growing up they're told be happy be thankful you were wanted isn't that good enough we love you which is the same thing adopted children are told but we don't tell them anymore you know your how you came to be doesn't matter Mm. Yes, you are loved. Yes, you are wanted. Yes, you are an, an integral part of our family. But we don't disregard um, how it is that you came to be on this earth. There's a great shadow over the whole surrogacy business, if we could call it that. There's a shame involved, perhaps, in it that needs to be exposed. and It needs to be talked about, prayed about, yes. cared for. And how do we love in our, our congregations the infertile couple you know i often refer to the the garden account and in the garden account you know adam was lonely and so our lord gave him eve children weren't in the garden Mm -hmm. and so our infertile married couples in our congregations just as our single uh people in our congregations are full and complete human beings yeah you know as a husband and wife you are a complete married couple there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing you did wrong you know scripture says you know who made you blind was it your mother or your father you know you didn't do anything wrong this is just what god has for you we don't need to put them in a special category in our churches oh you go to the married without children and you go to the married with children and so we sort of slice and dice people but how do we recognize that that we can grieve with these people and that there's there's real sadness Sadness mm. for people that want children that aren't able to have children naturally, um, but that there's nothing wrong with them, and that there's nothing that we should do for them or to fix them and rush them off to the doctor to walk down these more um, problematic, um, higher-tech solutions. A number of people who listen to the Beeson podcast are pastors, and I wonder if you could just speak to pastors out of your own heart and your experience as to how churches, and pastors in particular, could be involved in this issue. Yeah, I think this is just a natural life of the church discussion that we have. I think it begins oftentimes in the counseling room when a pastor is counseling a couple getting ready to get married. You know, we talk about where will you, you know, spend your Christmas with her mother, you know, <laughs> who will take out the trash, how will you handle your finances, but what what will you do if children don't come? You know, have you thought, have you talked about contraception? Will you contracept? Have you talked about having children? And have you discussed the fact that what happens if you you aren't able to have children, um, we need to talk about it with our young adults in our congregations. You know, we put off having children way too long in in Western countries. So a lot of the infertility we see today isn't really an infertility issue, but 
we think we can have children when we're in our late 30s, mm-hmm. when oftentimes normal biology says that a woman's most fertile in her you know, 20s and early 30s, and then our fertility dramatically drops. And so we, we live in a world where we think we can ignore the biological clock and those, those sort of realities. I don't think we need to use our pulpits you know, to browbeat people over, but this is just a, a, an ebb and flow of normal life, life and death, having children, not having children, raising children, being single. Um, and how do we integrate this this issue into our, you know, when you get up, when you lie down, when you walk alongside the road? If, if someone wants to contact you or be aware of your films, tell us a little bit about how they could do that. Well, um, they can go to our website, www.cbc-network.org. The, all the links are there for people to either order the films or they can watch them online on their computer if they prefer to do that. Um, there's lots of information. We have statements and uh, a robust website full of all kinds of more information, or they can just email us if they have more questions. Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Jennifer Law. She's the founder and president of the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network. She's an activist. She's a thinker. She's a dedicated Christian. She's a pediatric critical care nurse. And thank you so much for the work you do and for sharing some of that with us today. Oh, thank you for having me on your program. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.